This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. The headline reads, Justin Welby forced to allow Anglican bishops to reject statement on sexuality. That's the Archbishop of Canterbury, apparently responding to an outcry over a declaration that marriage is between a man and a woman. Most of that outcry is coming from the Episcopal Church in the United States. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So what is going on with this long-delayed Lambeth Conference? Is this another global South versus the declining West showdown that we see in so many churches? Well, that's what it's been for several decades at the very least. If you look at maps of where Anglicans lived in, say, 1900, you would see that about 80% or more were in the United Kingdom, were in England. I mean, it is, after all, the Church of England that is the hub for all of this. But if you looked at a map in 2000, you would see a radically different situation. You would see the majority of Anglicans are now in sub-Sahara Africa. And if you throw in the rest of what is called the Global South, you end up with the overwhelming majority of Anglicans are in the Global South. Then if you throw out kind of theoretical membership, I mean like theoretically there are 13 million Anglicans in the Church of England, and then you look at who is in a pew or at an altar on Sunday. You go for attendance, growth, baptisms, marriages, converts, who is producing new priests. Then the Global South truly leaps to the head. I mean, there are now more practicing Roman Catholics in England than there are people in Anglican pews. I mean, so, yes, by all means, what we have here is a situation where what I've started calling USAEU, the you know, kind of the, the common political structure of the progressive West, is in a showdown, once again, with the growing churches of Africa, Asia, and elsewhere. It's an old story, and I think the fact that very little has changed in it is why at this moment we're not seeing the kind of advanced coverage of Lambeth that we would normally see. And by the way, I say this as someone who, because of a speaking engagement and some foundation work in England, I actually was at Lambeth 1998 and was there for the aftermath of the what everyone in the West considers the very controversial reaffirmation of Anglican teachings on marriage and sexuality. And that is, that resolution universally just simply referred to as Lambeth 110. That resolution is at the heart of the emerging story. They managed to hold global meetings in the meantime, since 1998. They held what some people called Kumbaya 
meetings where basically they took all issues and discussions off the table and kind of grouped in Bible studies and community building circles where, frankly, it seemed that primary goal was to prevent controversy and maybe to read the riot act gently to the global south and tell them to kind of calm down and be less blunt but that certainly is not what's happening at this moment because if anything the two sides have only gotten further apart so this is not just a geographical difference i mean this is obviously a theological difference can this also be framed theologically, maybe not by a journalist because this would be too technical of language. Could this be small o Christian orthodoxy versus what we would call in the United States mainline Protestantism? Well, I mean, the press, especially political reporters, people who are not on the religion beat, as you know, don't have much interest in discussing doctrine. But what we are talking about here really essentially is anthropology and whether there is a Christian moral theology that has a consistent statement that addresses anthropology and the meaning of marriage, children, fidelity, etc. Now, for some of our listeners, they should be saying, gosh, this sounds really familiar. And the reason it sounds familiar is that structurally, What's happening in the Anglican Communion is extremely similar to the podcast that we did just a couple of weeks ago about what's happening in Global United Methodism. And it's, it's happening for the same reasons. And the basic structure here is that you have the establishment of a global communion or denomination. The establishment sits in the West. It has the institutions, it has the bureaucracies, it controls the office of the Archbishop of Canterbury, it controls the office of Lambeth. At this point, it still has way more money than the frequently impoverished churches of the Third World, of the Global South. What the Global South has is growth. They have babies, marriages, they have converts. They have growing numbers of priests. It's very similar to the structure of a lot of the debates that are occurring now in Catholicism. We're inside the Church of Rome. You have the churches of Europe all in rapid decline, squaring off with the rapidly growing churches of Africa and Asia. But it matters where the establishment sits. And if you're following the coverage of Lambeth, and I think we will see some coverage once there are press conferences about these conflicts, I think we'll see more coverage at that time, and it, people should really pay attention to whether or not the press covers the actual size of these individual national churches, and not just size in claim to membership, but size in terms of worshiping members, in terms of the sheer number of people who are active in those. If you remember in the Methodist story, the press coverage over and over says, it's all about sexuality. It's all about sexuality. It's all about sexuality. 
But when you probe deeper, and there have been some polls done that do, you immediately hit issues of Christology. You hit even differences on how historical the resurrection was and whether the resurrection actually took place as a real event. You hit issues of salvation, whether Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, as in the singular. You hit all kinds of questions about church polity. Let me give you an example. When they list the number of bishops who are in Lambeth, the last time I checked, there are going to be 650 delegates from 42 provinces, those regional bodies, and 165 nations. What's fascinating is when you look at the ratio of the number of bishops a province has to its actual worshiping members. And what you find is that the churches in USA, EU, there's a, I mean, the ratio of the number of bishops to the number of worshipers is a much higher number of bishops coming to Lambeth in terms of the people they're representing, whereas the churches in Africa, in Nigeria, and Rwanda, and Uganda, and Kenya, and these kinds of countries, they don't have as much money. They can't afford to have as much bishops, as many bishops, and they can't afford to put them on airplanes to go camp out in England for a couple of weeks. They also don't have the social media clout that you see in USA EU churches. I mean, so for some people, this is a justice issue. When you hear it expressed by the bishops of the West, the justice is on the side of LGBTQ. It's not on the side of, frankly, people of color from around the world. It seems that the people of color in Africa and Asia have all the wrong doctrinal perspectives in terms of the establishment. This is very similar to what's happening in Methodism, where the growing churches are in Africa, Asia, but America still controls all the crucial centers of power when it comes to the debates that are held, when they're held, and whether they're held. So they have to be very careful not to have open explosions of controversy. But boy, trust me, they're coming anyway. So I heard Justin Welby's list there in his little introduction to Lambeth, all the issues. He had everything on there in the list of everything that the church is going to have to respond to at Lambeth, except the question of human sexuality. Yes, exactly. But when it came time to put this together, the the bishops of USAEU really felt blindsided because when the committee met to produce a 58-page document of Lambeth calls, they found that the church in the third world, and I should stress here that some of the largest churches in Anglicanism, including the largest, the Church of Nigeria, aren't even coming to Lambeth because they believe that the gig is up on sexuality and that there's no hope of defending traditional moral theology in the context of the current Anglican communion. So the biggest, most powerful, conservative, small-o orthodox Anglican provinces are not even there. Yet the people who are still coming, 
in particular, listen for the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans. We'll have lots of people there, even if the GAFCON group, and I forget what GAFCON stands for right now, but that is the conservative body of third world Anglicans, the, the most vocal, the one that has kind of boycotting this situation. But there is overlap between those groups, and there will still be a lot of conservative Anglicans there. And they ended up with a call, and I think it would help listeners just to hear me read this. They have language in this document that says, prejudice on the basis of gender or sexuality threatens human dignity. Given Anglican polity, and especially the autonomy of provinces, there is disagreement and a plurality of views on the relationship between human dignity and human sexuality. Yet we experience the safeguarding of dignity in deepening dialogue. Safeguarding of dignity. It is the mind of the Anglican communion as a whole that same-gender marriage is not permissible. Lambeth Resolution 110, 1998, states that the legitimizing or blessing of same-sex unions cannot be advised. It is the mind of the communion to uphold, quote, faithfulness in marriage between man and a woman in lifelong union. It is also the mind of the communion that, quote, all baptized, believing, and faithful persons, regardless of sexual orientation, are full members of the body of Christ and to be welcomed and cared for and treated with respect. Well, you can hear the tensions going back through there. The key language was there is disagreement and a plurality of views on the relationship between human dignity and human sexuality. But right before that, it stressed the autonomy of provinces. In other words, in Anglicanism, there is no mechanism to require the provinces to obey anything that comes out of Lambeth. There is no such thing as a body of Anglican doctrine that can be enforced. And that's just as true on something like the virgin birth, salvation, or the resurrection, as it is on the meaning of marriage and whether sex outside of marriage can be considered sin. So that's a difference between the Methodists and the Anglicans at this point. There is no book of discipline that binds this body together. They very much are freewheeling, independent provinces. And the folks in USAEU have been known to say to the Africans, hey, if you would like us to still fund your hospitals and send you aid money and help you during times of famine, you guys really need to get with it on issues of LGBTQ equality. It's never stated that bluntly, of course, but that's another chip on the table. So do you think that the nature of this meeting, because it really, in many ways, has no force of law in the Anglican communion, do you think that that is sufficiently understood by the media to be covered accurately. This is not a church council. This yeah. is not even the Southern Baptist Convention meeting right. uh, once a year. Well, I mean, the press is going to say that because the big news for the churches of USAEU is they're going to continue to do whatever they want. And they, they have made it very clear in some statements. The Episcopal Diocese of Los Angeles 
the bishop there, John Harvey Taylor, put out a statement that very bluntly said, Lambeth doesn't legislate or set policy, but that won't matter to a global audience that is likely to read that a majority of Anglican bishops refused to affirm the dignity of every human being. It's exactly the wrong message to a world in agony. A few sentences later, he said, in the wake of the news, meaning post-Lambeth headlines, should it come, the Episcopal Church will again have to work hard to remind people we don't read the Bible literally, divorced from its historic rootedness, but slowly but surely across generations, we have moved away from arguing that the Word of God countenances slavery, misogyny, homophilia, and transphobia. Slowly but surely, we've, by and large, adopted the view that our God in Christ loves, affirms, and elects all those whom God has made across all expressions of orientation and identification. I mean, so you can hear there, once again, the classic progressive formula, which is we no longer embrace slavery, we no longer embrace a ban on gay marriage, we no longer embrace centuries of Christian tradition on the definition of marriage or on sexual conduct. So look for those statements to be quoted early and often. The question is whether there is some sort of dramatic breaking point during this meeting. And frankly, how do the dominant provinces in Anglicanism respond to what's about to happen at Lambeth? Terry, I am curious about the emphasis that the media may put on the role of the Episcopal Church. We can argue that the Church of England is progressive, but nothing like the Episcopal Church in the United States. Actually, at this point, I think on the ground, they're pretty similar. You might say that the evangelical wing in England gets more publicity now than it does in the United States because so many so many clergy and parishes have left the Episcopal Church and gone into alternative forms of Anglicanism. By the way, it would be interesting to see if any of the bishops of the alternative Anglican bodies are physically attending Lambeth, even if they will not be allowed to vote. That will be another interesting thing to look at. And like I said earlier, it will also be interesting to see if there will be an effort to get even more bishops from USAEU into the meeting, even to allow them to speak, maybe even to vote. The numbers are already way out of skew between the number of bishops from the third world versus correspondingly the number of bishops from England, United States, New Zealand, and the rest of kind of the, the progressive side of the church. Once again, as, let me define that again. The number of bishops in terms of the number of active members they represent. But the other thing you have to look for, we've already had a protest yesterday, I believe it was, where the Episcopal bishops marched in favor of LGBTQ inclusion at Canterbury. And a big symbolic issue there is Lambeth decided not to invite the same-sex partners of some of the American clergy, including bishops, not to invite their same-sex partners 
to take part in the spouse's track of events at Lambeth. In other words, when you get a bunch of Anglican bishops together, most of the men, you're going to have wives who are there from around the world, and they're going to meet for their own Bible studies, and they're going to meet to talk about issues like hunger and persecution and a host of other things. Well, the Western churches are furious that same-sex partners didn't get invited. So look for that to be another issue that could show up in the public eye. It already has at this very little sparsely covered initial event. I would look for that to come up again as a visual headline grabbing effort from the Western churches to kind of once again show how oppressed they are in the context of the uh, global communion. This would require actually some rather Herculean effort, but should the media make an attempt to talk to the bishops in the Global South who are not able to attend? Oh, I expect a press conference probably by Zoom. I think there will be efforts for these bishops to speak. I would not be surprised if one or two came to England and held events. At the very least, I would look for some sort of press conference coordinated efforts to speak to the press, maybe not coming out of GAFCON, the more conservative body, but definitely watch for something coming out of the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans, where they will try to react to whatever Lambeth does. And we still don't have the tweaked documents out yet to see whether Lambeth will stand its ground, that marriage and sexuality is an issue that can't be avoided if they're going to try to find some mechanism to hold the communion together. Is it possible that there's going to be something, you were talking about before the break, that there's going to be something as dramatic as bishops walking out if the document is not rejected on either side or if the document is accepted by a majority on either side? Well, I think that's a distinct possibility. When this, these calls, this document of Lambeth calls went out, the way it was expressed was that the bishops present will vote to affirm a call or they will vote that it needs to use the colloquial, the can needs to be kicked down the road for another 10 years. In other words, we don't think we can agree to agree, so we need to take no stand at this moment and allow our confusion and our disagreements to continue to be debated in dialogue, and the word dialogue will be used over and over and over during these meetings. In other words, can we go back to the kumbaya format? Can we still pull kumbaya out of the hat? However, in response to the furor from the left about this marriage, this Lambeth 110 call being included for discussion, there now apparently will be three options on the table where bishops can vote to approve the call. They can vote to say, we don't agree, we'll just continue to debate it, or they will be able to put their votes on the record and vote to reject it. And if that's the case, frankly, I think the news will not be how many vote against the resolution. Because, I mean, the bishops of America and many of the bishops of England and Scotland and Ireland and New Zealand and whatever, they're going to do what they're going to do. 
What I think will be interesting is the number of people in a three-vote scenario who vote to postpone debate again, to postpone the discussion, to try to see if there is some way to say peace, peace, when there clearly is no peace. But if Lambeth meets only once a decade, a lot of horses are going to leave the barn before they yeah. get back together to talk about this. And it will seem almost probably quaint to have that conversation in a decade. Well, you know, that depends. I mean, the trust funds of the big churches in the rich West will still be there. Their numbers will continue to drop. Their attendance will continue to drop. Their number of baptisms and conversions will continue to drop. The global South, all indication, will continue to grow. But they still, their churches will not be next to the biggest and most important newsrooms. A newspaper in Nigeria is not going to do as much to frame the discussion of these issues as BBC. A newspaper in Uganda is not going to have the impact on this discussion that the New York Times will have. What National Public Radio says about this will touch more people's lives than what a Zoom call by leaders of GAFCON managed to generate from their people who have internet access. And don't forget, in many of these churches, the vast number of their people in the pews do not have the internet. They do not have social media. They are quite literally unplugged, even as their churches grow and grow and grow. So much like the Catholic debates and much like the Methodist debates, there's no question who the establishment is. And the churches, the growing churches of Africa and Asia, cannot vote the Church of England out of the Church of England. That's not going to happen. It just isn't. What should our listeners be looking for and listening for when they consume news about the Lambeth Conference to make sure they're getting the best possible information? Well, very specifically, they should look to see who is invited to speak and vote who wasn't a part of the original invitation list to Lambeth. In other words, who gets to move troops in at the last? I guarantee you there will not be many extra people from Africa and Asia who walk in the door at the last minute. Those will tend to be people from the richer churches of USAEU. At the same time, I really want to see if the coverage mentions the number of worshipers in some of the dioceses that are there. I mean, when you look at a typical diocese in Nigeria and you contrast that with some of the dioceses in the United States, it's so tragic that it's almost humorous. And I'm not talking about a large diocese like the Diocese of Dallas or some segment of the church where they still are kind of level or might even be slowly growing or whatever. When you look at some of the dioceses that still have a bishop, that still have a presence in these arguments, is the diocese of, I believe it's northern Michigan. It might be western Michigan, but I believe it's the diocese of northern Michigan. I would check the invite list and see if that bishop is there, because this is a diocese that the last time I heard a report 
I believe on an average Sunday morning, that diocese has about 280 people in the pews of all of its surviving churches combined. Dioceses where their worship attendance is counted in the hundreds or the low thousands, as opposed to dioceses where the worship attendance is counted in the hundreds of thousands or in the millions. I'd like to see if those numbers make it into the coverage, because I think, frankly, it's a valid angle for the press to be interested in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.